Well, good morning, Westside. Yeah, hey. It's good to see you guys. I am Caleb Klinger. If you haven't met me yet, I am the student director here at Westside. It is uh, an honor and a privilege to be here to speak to you uh, today in our last week of this series. But first of all, I have a bone to pick with Ryan. How can he pick Great Are You, Lord, on the week that I'm preaching when he knows I love to belt it? So if my voice starts to go out, you understand that it's Ryan's fault. Blame Ryan. No, we are in our last week of God's Will, No Regrets. We've been looking at what it means to live a life that is aligned fully with God's will for our lives what it would look like in every decision that we make, in every circumstance that we're in, whatever may come across our lives, that we live fully in God's will. What would that look like for our lives? Uh, We've been talking about what it means to be in God's will. What's interesting to me, and I think it's fascinating just generally speaking, is Humanity has an interesting way about them, to to put it simply, right? Human nature to me is fascinating. I'm not alone in this. There's a reason that we have 24-hour news cycle. There's like 14 different TV stations just dedicated to news about humans, right? We are fascinated by human nature, and I think it's because of the extremes when it comes to human nature. See, humanity is, is capable of incredible good, incredible uh, selflessness and charity, incredible uh, benevolence. But on the other side of the spectrum, humanity is capable of incredible evil and indescribable uh, pain inflicted on each other. And that's what's fascinating to me about human nature is that we recognize evil so easily in others that we can see it clearly when other people are committing acts of evil or when other people are doing the wrong thing. We are quick to point that out, but it's really hard to look inwardly at the selfishness and the sinfulness in our own hearts, and our own minds, our own human nature that bends us towards this selfishness. It's much more difficult to, to recognize that in ourselves than it is in other people. And I think that when it comes down to it, it's easy to justify being unloving, that, that we have all sorts of rationalizations and justifications for our own behaviors that we don't afford other people, that it's easier to justify ourselves Uh, ostracizing a group or or mistreating people, uh, it's easier to justify it for ourselves than it is for others. That that we rationalize these things, we justify it in our own hearts and our own minds as a, a justified response. This is not something that is new. This is not something that modern humans created. This has been a problem since the dawn of humanity, if you will. That, that human nature bends us towards this uh, obfuscation of our own guilt and, and the clarity that we see other people. Jesus taught about this many times in, in his ministry, in his, his teachings, and his conversations with the disciples. He talked about this quite a bit. And there's, there's one interaction that, that I want to highlight today where he had this, this uh, conversation 
an interaction with an expert in the law. And we're going to be looking at Luke 10. So if you have your Bible or your phone, you can turn to it. Uh, It'll be on the screen and it's in your notes as well. But Luke 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, if you're familiar with this part of the Bible, you, and if you turn to it in your actual Bible, you probably saw the paragraph in bold that said, the good Samaritan. So what follows is the parable that Jesus tells of the good Samaritan. What's interesting to me is that the story and the parable of the good Samaritan has actually transcended Christianity. There are non-Christians that if you say, well, that person's just being a good Samaritan, they immediately know what you're talking about. This story that has become so foundational in uh, Western culture, but in, in how people should treat other people, is how Jesus responds to this question that this expert in the law asks. What we have to understand here is that this is an expert in the law. The law of Israel was the fabric of their culture. It was the foundation of their entire religious culture that they had established. And so he was either a practitioner of the law or a teacher of the law. He was an expert. He would have had the law memorized. He would have known exactly what the law stated. What's also interesting and something that we can infer from this conversation that Jesus has is he was probably very familiar with Jesus and Jesus's teachings. Look how he summed up the answer to Jesus's question. How does the law read? He says, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. That was the exact response that Jesus had in a previous interaction with experts in the law who had questioned him what the, the number one commandment was. So either this expert in the law was a follower of Jesus or he was familiar with Jesus' teachings. And he probably thought, yeah, I'm just going to throw this right back in his face. But we see that he wanted to justify himself when it came to who his neighbor was. He wanted to justify himself. I, I think this means that he immediately knew the people that he wanted to eliminate from that definition of neighbor. You see, when he wanted to justify himself, he wanted to, an answer to this question, who is my neighbor, that excluded the same people that he didn't want to treat with love. He wanted an answer that eliminated the, the guilt that he had for mistreating certain people or certain groups of people. What's culturally significant is that the protagonist of this parable is a Samaritan. 
and the historical context for the relationship between Samaritan and Jews at this time was one of discord. It was one of hate. The Jews saw the Samaritans as lesser people because they had a mixed bloodline, because they chose to worship in a different spot other than the temple in Jerusalem, because they had slightly different beliefs. The Jews ostracized and just ignored and mistreated Samaritans. Jesus in this parable was being incredibly clear with this expert in the law who had probably used the law as a justification for not loving his Samaritan neighbors. Jesus was incredibly clear that to love your neighbor meant loving people that you dislike, that may be culturally different than you, or maybe a group of people that you've actually mistreated in the past, maybe even someone who is related to you that you have chosen to mistreat. And what's interesting is that in this exchange, Jesus answers his question about an eternal life. When the man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says, yes, that's the correct answer. That is the pathway to eternal life. Do this and you will live. And we see that the key to eternal life is expressing love to God and others. That this is the key, the pathway, if you will, to eternity. The key to that eternal life that Jesus promises us is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the key. Jesus promises us that if we do this, we will live. I, I, I find it humorous that Jesus simplified it in such a powerful way. You see, it's simplified in that it's love God and love others. But we all know, because we all live on this planet, that it's not easy. It's simple, yes. It's really easy to say, love God, love others. But in practice, it is not that easy. What's interesting to me is that if it had been a huge, drawn-out, long process, like if Jesus said, it's, okay, key to eternal life, there's 18,742 steps that you have to take, right? It would be much easier for us to say, okay, I, I got all the way up to 11,014, but uh, I just can't get past that, right? It'd be much easier to justify not living in a way that follows all these long, drawn-out steps. But instead, Jesus says, no, it's simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Love others as yourself. Simple, not easy. When we wrestle our decision-making process down to these simple questions, am I loving God in these decisions? Am I loving God through my actions? Am I loving others in the choices that I make? Am I loving others in any circumstances I find myself in? We see the pathway for us living in God's will, that God's will aligned with our our own actions, our own circumstances, our own desires, 
when we align ourselves with God's will that, that we see this love of God and love of others. Our series big idea has been this, that when I follow God's will, I will have no regrets. That, that we've been looking at what it means to be aligned with God's will, what it means to live a life that has no regrets. And I think that, that these two commandments that Jesus just hinges the entire law and prophets on, loving God, loving others, are so important. In Ephesians 5, uh, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and <clears throat> we're going to pick up in verse 15. This has been one of our anchor verses for this entire series. But Paul says to the church in Ephesus, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so we've been looking at what God's will is for our lives. And what's just incredible to me is that God's will for you is unique to you because of your life experience, because of the, the circumstances that you and because of the sphere of influence that you have. It is unique to you. And that's why this series, Big, I, Big Prayer, has been so important. For, for all of us during this time. And I hope that, that you've been engaging with this big prayer. Father, I want your will more than I want my way. Show me your will for today. It's through engaging in prayer with God, through, through humbly positioning yourself to be under his will, that, that you lift up the importance of his will for your life and you diminish the role of your way, what you want. And you, you humble yourself to be in line with his will. That, that we get to experience a life that is lived in his will. The other anchor verse that we've been looking at in their verses is Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we've been going through this series, and we've read that verse many times Romans 12, 1, there's something that stuck out to me. And it's this combination of words, and you can underline it in your notes, living sacrifice. You see, the context, the historical context is that Paul is writing to a church that is in Rome. And this church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles alike. But when you use the word sacrifice to a church of Jews and Gentiles, they understand what that means. The religious systems of that day were built on sacrifice. As a Jew growing up in that religious system, you would have known exactly what it meant to go to the temple, to present your sacrifice. But guess what defined it as a sacrifice? The death. It was the killing of the animal that made it the sacrifice. That's what the definition of sacrifice is. And so he puts these two words together and it's it's almost like an oxymoron, living sacrifice. 
And I feel like what he is calling this church to be is a new way of living, a new way of living that isn't defined by a sacrificial death, but through a sacrificial life. That, that there is, this is the embodiment of this new covenant that Jesus proclaimed, that we would begin to live a life that was different and new in a different way, a living sacrifice as a true and proper worship. And sacrificial living became the church's rallying cry. I challenge you to look at the history of that early church and how they went from a a small group of home churches that exploded in just a couple hundred years to being the biggest religious movement on the planet. That, That because of this church's embodiment of what it meant to be a living sacrifice, how they lived their lives in the face of persecution and death. But what, what does it matter? What is death going to do to you when you've already accepted the challenge to be a sacrifice? You're already living a life that is a sacrifice. They didn't fear death. They didn't fear persecution. They faced it with incredible courage, and they changed the course of human history because of the way that they lived, because of this challenge that that Paul laid on them to, to begin to live in a new way, not conformed to the pattern of the world, not to, not to bend their will to the, the modern theory, not to bend their will to the political system, that their will wasn't bent to fear, anxiety, that their will wasn't bent to the trends, to the, to the circumstances that they were in, but that they would align themselves with God's will, that they would adopt this mantle of living sacrifice and change the world. And we see that they lived out these two commands in their lives as evidence of their willingness to be that living sacrifice. We understand that the evidence of God's will in my life is shown to whom and how I demonstrate love. That the evidence of God's will in my life is shown in the outpouring of love to other people. How we demonstrate that love, how we engage in the relationships with the people around us, in our families, our friends, our neighborhoods. I think that the Apostle John in his first epistle sums it up so beautifully. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
You see, the embodiment of this new way of life, of not being conformed to the pattern of the world, is expressed in love. That, that we refuse to let the waves of this life batter us and move us in any direction, but we anchor ourselves in God's will that we anchor ourselves in this love that we have received from Christ. What's incredible to me about this in verse 12 is that he says, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. His love is made mature in us, that, that it completes when we demonstrate love outwardly. His love It's through us that people see the complete picture of the love of God for them. This is an incredible responsibility that we have to, to show that picture of love to the world around us. That when people see us, they should see a complete love that comes from God. But when we don't show love, when we choose not to show that love to the people around us. Well, not demonstrating God's love to those closest to you denies them the chance to experience God's love. And when we choose and we make decisions that don't express God's love, that we are denying them the opportunity to see that picture, that completeness, to see what it means that God loves them. If we are choosing not to show love to the people around us, not to show love to our families, not to show love to our friends, not to show love to our neighbors, our physical neighbors, not to show love to the people that we have influence with, not to show love to the people that we work with, that we, that we hang out with, Whatever it may be, if we are choosing not to love them, we're denying them an opportunity to see the complete picture of God's love. God is love. Therefore, expressing love outwardly displays God's will at work in our lives. This is, this is how we, we show what it means to live a life that is anchored in God's will, that is aligned with God's will for ourselves, is there is an outpouring of love to the people around us because God is love. So what does God's will expressed in love require of me? This is a tough question, and it's a question I really can't answer for you. Because the incredible thing is that each and every one of us that's here, each and every one of us that's joining online, each and every single person has a unique expression to the world around them. Because you have unique experiences, you have unique thoughts, you have unique spheres of influence. The people that I can influence are different than the people that you can influence. The people I come across on a weekly basis are different than the people that you impact and have ability to influence. And so this is a question that you have to answer for yourself, because we are uniquely suited, we are uniquely gifted, 
We are uniquely placed in this world to have an impact on the people around us. There's no one else on this earth that has the same exact influence that you do. So how we live out of God's will by loving others is instrumental for our lives. Teaching big ideas this, that it is God's will that I love others the way Jesus demonstrated his love for me. It is God's will that I love others the way Jesus demonstrated his love for me. John talks about that in, verse, in, in chapter 4, that it's only through Christ that we can begin to understand sacrificial love in a new and powerful way. Because he demonstrated his great love for us on the cross while we were yet sinners, because he died for us and, and paid that penalty of death, that's the only reason that we can step into this new way of living. Because he paid that, that penalty of death for our lives, we get to live out of his love. I, I love this, this way of looking at it, that, that loving others is not an action that we can take upon ourselves. That if we determine for ourselves and we try to bend our will to love people, that we are going to fail. Loving others is a reaction of receiving the love that Christ has for us. Loving others is a, a reaction from, from taking that love that God freely offers for us, the love that, that he poured out for us on the cross. It's by accepting that, by receiving it, and living in that, that comes the love for other people out of us. It's a reaction. Only by receiving and understanding the, the love that Jesus had for us on the cross, the love that he has for us today, are we able to live out of that in God's will, expressing love to the people around us. So what then is the loving thing for me to do? What is the loving thing for me to do? In every circumstance, I, I, I hope you begin to ask yourself this question. Throughout this series, we've, we've given you some good assessment questions to ask. And this is, this is a, a keystone question for the decisions that we have to make in our lives, for the circumstances that we find ourselves in, for the way that we treat other people. What is the loving thing for me to do? And I think sometimes this question is it's obvious, it's easy. As soon as we ask this question, we see, we know exactly what we have to do. And, and it's going to be that, that feel-good moment where, where the person that we express love to feels good, and we feel good for loving, and, and it's, everything's going to be happy, right? But that's not always the situation. You see, sometimes the loving thing to do actually requires offending someone. Maybe we have to tell a hard truth to someone in love. Maybe we have to challenge someone, and they're not going to like hearing that. That's why it's so important that, that we understand the responsibility we have is, is love in wisdom. 
Love in wisdom. See, I think we must strive to do the wisest, most loving thing in any circumstance. Casey talked about wisdom last week, and and I think that these two things are married together in the Christian life, that they become inseparable, that, that we don't cast aside wisdom for love, but we also don't cast aside love for wisdom, that they go hand in hand. They are inseparable in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we interact with the world, that we have through God and through living in His will, that we have this response to people, yes, in love, but yes, with wisdom. It's so important, church, that that we begin to live a life that is aligned with God's will, that we begin to seek out what His unique plan is for us and the people that are placed in our life for influence, that God has given us this opportunity to show them the complete love of Jesus. And that we act with wisdom in love towards the people around us, the people that God has placed in our life. That's my challenge to you. And Middle school service, I like to end, and even in, in, with the high schoolers on Wednesday night, I like to end with a challenge. I think it's important to, to get you to understand that, that we need to take what we hear, we need to take what we learn, and we need to apply it to our lives. So my challenge to you is this, do everything in wisdom with love. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever relationships you have around you. The people that God has placed you in place in your life for you to influence. Do everything in wisdom and love. Accepting the love that Jesus has poured out for us. Choosing that that life that, that God has has given us choosing that new way of living to be that living sacrifice so that the evidence of God's love is shown to the world around us. Do everything in wisdom and love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for the people that are here, the people online. Thank you for your word that we, that we find in, in the scriptures. Thank you for the wisdom that is there. Thank you for allowing us to receive this incredible love that you've demonstrated for us. Help us as we go out from here. Help us to, to engage and align ourselves in your will that that we would begin to ask these questions in every decision, every circumstance, and every relationship that we have, that we would begin to live a life that is fully in your will. Just pray that throughout this next week, you would show us the opportunities that we have to love other people, to demonstrate 
the love that we have received from you, Jesus. So thankful for this time. So thankful for you. Just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Hey, Westside. Thanks for sticking with us to the very end. Um, that was Kayla.